Let us pray. Lord God, open our ears to hear your calling for us and open our eyes to see the way you make for us back to you in one united family. Please be seated. Where are you? comes the cry from Genesis today. And it's not humanity calling out to a hidden God who seems to have abandoned us. No, in the third chapter of Genesis, God is crying out to people who aren't where they should be. And I wonder if that cry from God followed Adam and Eve everywhere they went from that point on. And I wonder if every prayer that we pray to God is actually an answer a prompt, prompted by that cry from God. Where are you? Do you know where you are? Now the human couple's answer is, we're hiding. We're ashamed. We're naked. Because we know now things that we never knew before. And it's his fault. It's her fault. The devil made us do it. Do you notice that they never once apologize? I mean, they're honest, pretty much. But they don't seem very sorry. Maybe that comes later. But we should probably just take a moment to consider that tree that they ate from, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that tree is not there when God fashions Adam. And then God plants a garden for Adam to tend. And in the center of that garden, God plants a choice a rule that can be broken, a way out of the garden of delight. You shall not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. And then God fashions a partner for Adam, and the first couple get on with their lives for a while. Who knows for how long they got up each morning and chose not to eat? of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How long did they consciously choose to stay in that garden where work was a pleasure, labor was easy, and everyone was a vegetarian? <laughs> it's just that one day they choose the tree. Now they had some help, sure, but really it was their own decision to make, and they made it. The fruit was good to eat, and it was a source of wisdom that they didn't have before. And once they tasted it, once they knew it, they could not unknow it. And the consequence was that they'd be making their own decisions from now on. And the first thing they decided to do was hide from God. Eden became the first house divided. There wasn't room for more than one God, so Adam and Eve had to move out. And the labor that was once a delight now became toil. 
and the earth they once stewarded now became their enemy. And the animals they once named now became their prey. And the first murder of an innocent man happens a chapter later, an act born of an envious brother, and their new house is divided. That's Israel's origin story. That's our origin story as well. And in the rest of the saga, God follows humanity out of the garden and keeps calling, where are you? Do you know where you are? And houses rise and fall and form and divide until in Jesus, God provides a new way home. And that involves seeing in a new way. That involves seeing the household of God in an entirely new way by looking beyond what the, beyond the way people usually set things up to the alternative world that God formed through Jesus. Not even Jesus' own family can see it at first. We discover this in today's gospel from Mark. Now, the crowds have gone wild with desire for the good news and healing that Jesus has been providing, so much so that Jesus has appointed 12 helpers to kind of manage the load. And things are so busy that there's not even time to eat. But Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers and sisters, they are embarrassed they come in person to fetch him away. They just want him to come home so things can go back to the way they were, so everyone is where they're supposed to be. They fear that he's out of his mind. And Jesus disobeys. He challenges one of the key components of Israel's identity, loyalty to family. Stick with your own honor your parents. Who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus asks. And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way, God is doing the unthinkable. He is starting a new family, a new holy people, and is doing so without regard for ordinary human family bonds. Unless you read verses 34 and 35 as deeply shocking, you haven't gotten the message. It is shocking to Jesus' family. And it should shock us still today in a society where protecting one's own family is often a good reason to deny other families the resources they need. Now in Jesus' day, such a defiance meant that you were either insane or evil. And if evil, Jesus points out, he would make for a pretty ineffective demon since he's undermining the powers of sin at every turn. Through the good news that God is at hand, 
through the strength of his healing and his inclusion, through his table fellowship, through the life he lays down, through his resurrection, through the forgiveness that he offers, Jesus binds the strong man. Jesus subverts the divisive forces of evil, of empire, of kinship bonds, of exceptionalism, and throws open the doors wide to a new house. Now, the Apostle Paul understood that recognizing what God had done in Christ required a new way of seeing. And it shows up in his second letter to the Corinthians, whom he urged to look to the invisible work of God rather than what they were used to focusing on. Now, the Christians in Corinth had this tendency to confuse their wealth and their prosperity and their egos with God's favor, as though these were visible signs of their salvation. They were becoming a house divided because of their arrogance and their class division and all the things that they treasured about themselves. Paul said, those just make up the outside of the tent. They needed to keep their eyes on what God was doing within. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, Paul reminds them. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. And what cannot be seen is eternal. Now to look at what is not seen, to look at eternal things, requires belief, the eyes of faith, the inner yes to the divine offer, not just for the Corinthians. That's Paul talking right to us. Because fast forward to today. Flip through the newspaper, read Twitter, scan your email, can you show me a house that is not divided? Can you show me a church that is not divided? It's perhaps the easiest thing to spot about our relationships these days. And yet, in these scriptures and in this act of worship, we are invited to believe that God has been remaking the tent from the inside out. And this is how God heals that breach. In Christ, God makes the divine self something that can be chosen, taken, received, over and over again, visible to eyes that want to see. It's as though in Christ, God has reversed engineered the garden from that old story. Eden featured a tree whose fruit had to be continuously denied in order for humanity to remain with God. One taste and the deal was over. The tale goes. In the new story, there is also a tree. And the repair before us 
involves a tasting and a seeing with new eyes. It involves a death that results in eternal life. It is Jesus himself who is on offer, who is the food on the plate, who is the choice we can make, our invitation into a house united in God. So keep this choice before you as you reach for the bread of life today. Whether you come to the table here or respond to Jesus' invitation to receive him in spiritual communion, in both cases, we look beyond what we can see before us. And at that moment, when we pause in prayer to receive Jesus, make your choice. What is on offer is a house united, a breach that is healed, new life with the one who has been calling and calling through the ages. Where are you? Do you know where you are? Amen.